usually second Sunday of the month of February, since this church started, we take time to look at relationships and how God helps us from time to time to examine his word as to how we can look at relationships. So I'm grateful to God for another opportunity. This is the ninth time we would have a session like this. Typically this weekend, we also used to have like a couple's events, youth events, relationship, uh, team building, and so on. Uh, we haven't had those in a, in a few years now uh, for obvious reasons, but we are trusting God that very soon we will be able to have a, a, a very, very packed weekend again to celebrate the relationships that God has given to us in life. And may God continue to help us in Jesus' name. So we're all together. Kids are with us, so let's help them as much as possible to be comfortable throughout the meeting. And I want to trust God that we will all be blessed in Jesus' name. And so I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us also online. Uh, those, some of us, some, some of our members are abroad, and I can see that they are connected as well. And uh, everyone else who will be watching this later on, and uh, anyone who has stumbled into this broadcast for the first time, you are very welcome. I want to believe God that God brought you here specifically today to join us live. And so don't turn away, because unless you obviously have a church to attend, and uh, you should be in that service. But if you are just passing through and you find yourself hooked on this channel, please stay there and let God do whatever he wants to do. And to every one of us, I want to say, uh, members of the church, when we share the church broadcast on YouTube in uh, our church and our WhatsApp group, can you please go into it, click it, go into YouTube and like it. Uh, they, uh, we are told that the more a, a video is liked, the more it gives it opportunity to be visible to others. So first and foremost, if you are not yet subscribed to LiveGate Outreach TV, please do that. That's our YouTube channel. And then if you do go there, don't just, you may have listened to it in the church. You've done it, you've done And like doesn't mean that you like or dislike it. It's just a way the program works. <laughs> it's just for us to help, it's just for you to help to spread the word. You see, the man who laid hands on me when this church started in the year 2013 was a man I met 30, 30 years ago, 32 years ago now. Uh, I was talking about him a little, about the ministry a little earlier in the service today, in the power tower. And um, I followed him to church. I followed him to his ministry because of a tape. Those days, this was late 90s, late 80s, 89 actually, uh, 89, 90, 1990 it was. And I followed him to church because of a tape of his that was playing in a cousin's car. And I was in Kano in northern Nigeria, and uh, he played the tape. My cousin was playing the tape. And I said to him casually, we were living in Kano, as I said, and I said, oh, these Lagos uh, preachers, that there's such a blessing that Lagos seems to have all the best preachers in town because I was so drawn to the message. And my cousin said, no, this person is not in Lagos. He's right here in Kano. And I said, in this canoe. And I followed him to that. And we have been connected 32 years later. We still speak regularly. As I said, he's been here. He commissioned this church. God used him to commission this church as a senior pastor of mine and a mentor. And it's amazing to see how much God can influence a person through a person. But I don't know if my cousin wasn't playing that message that day, what would have happened? Maybe we never would have met or met differently. So you don't know who... God wants to touch. We are not after everybody, but we need to be after the right people. 
The people that God wants us to reach, let's reach them. So go into YouTube. Don't say I don't do YouTube, but go there, look for LifeGate Outreach TV, subscribe to it, and like every message. It is an assignment you must take every week. Just go in there, even if you have listened to it two times. Go there, click like, because that your like will give a propensity for that video to reach many more people. Brethren, this is how it works. God bless you in Jesus' name. We want to thank God for the series we started last week, Living in the Power of the Love of God. Living in the Power of the Love of God. We had a banner that we put up last week like we always do. This uh, uh, series is an eight-part series, and uh, we are on the second one today, which is the hate-pride topic. This is the power to hate pride. We are living in the power, we said living in the power of the love of God is this theme, and um, last week we said one of the power of the love of God we live, need to live in is to love people. It is commanded that we love God and we love people. We need a power that will work in us to love people. I said last week that it's very easy to love certain people, but it is more difficult and more challenging naturally to love certain people. But whichever way, we need the agape love of God working on our inside to help us to truly love people. So we should love people. And then I said the remaining seven sessions, we'll be looking at hating certain things that God hates because part of how we demonstrate our love for God is to show hatred to certain things that he hates also. You cannot say to me that you love me if you hate my wife. It just wouldn't work. That's the reality of life. Or you look at any of my children and say, I hate your child, but I love you. I'll say, well, you've got to, <laughs> we come as a package. You've got to love everyone. So this is how it is. You can't say you love God and then you hate people. He will tell you, you don't love me. In fact, James said, how can you say you love God who you cannot see <laughs> where you cannot love the people he put around you that you can see? So there is a power. Somebody said there is a power that is at work in me to love people. So it is when you use it, you find it easier to love and you find it easier to walk in love with people. Then we move on to the power to be hating certain things that God hates. And we are going to start with pride today. So the power to hate pride is our topic today. Now, when we look at pride in the literal sense, it is like a sense of accomplishment. In the English word pride, many people say, I'm proud of my qualification, I'm proud of my family, I'm proud of A, B, and C. People can say that they are proud of certain things, and uh, in, the, in the literal sense of it, it is not wrong, because it is English language to use that word pride in terms of a sense of feeling, deep pleasure, and accomplishment. But you see, when pride becomes perverted, and whatever that accomplishment is, our, our accomplishments in life, our possessions in life, whatever that accomplishment is in life, when it starts to become a hindrance between our relating with God, we must all understand that that pride now becomes perverted, and that is what God says he hates. God is not hating your celebration of accomplishment, achievement, especially those things that you believe that he has done for you. He's not against those things, but he's against those things that we believe that we now have, either from him or by our own effort, and yet those things now cause us to have a, an air of aura, of, of, of self-centeredness and self-worth that, is, it, that has a disregard for God or God's word. 
So when we talk about pride, in, in this sense, we are not talking about this kind of feeling of accomplishment. We are talking about any sense of feeling that we have in us that makes us feel superior, that makes us feel uh, in need of, of, of a no need for God, that makes us feel that we have accomplished things by ourselves, and so on and so forth. So anything that works against God, the godly virtue of humility and submission to God is something God hates. That is pride. That is the pride that God hates. As Christians, we must be people who allow the love of God to be poured in our hearts to continue to rule and reign in our lives. And I'm aware that we have all age groups in today. And I'm going to be speaking as much as God helps me uh, to everyone, young children, young adults, young people, men and women, of all ages by the grace of God. We have been reading Romans 5.5. We're going to be reading it throughout this series. The Bible says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Say with me, the love of God has been poured out in my heart by the Holy Spirit who was given to me. That is Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. So we must be people who continue to love what God loves and people who desires to relate with people the way God desires to relate with people. Last week, we emphasized this so much. God loves people, so we must love people. Loving people is a non-negotiable. You cannot choose to love certain people and hate certain people. God hates no human being. So you and I have no right whatsoever to hate anyone. And so we must understand how important it is to love people. And so we must be people who love what God loves. And one of those things, the key thing is that he loves people and he desires to relate with them. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, the Bible makes us to understand that God will come down in the cool of the day to fellowship with this man that he has made. His desire is to relate with this man that he has made. And we must understand that love is something we must do. Something we have to do. We are commanded to love. 1 John 4.10 tells us that in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So his pattern is that he doesn't go about looking for who loves him first to love them. No, he loved the world first. He loved us first. And then we now love him back because he sent his son. Go back to verse 10. He sent his son because of that love. He sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice, the substitute for our sins. And then verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, that is if he loved us in a way whereby he was not expecting love from us before he loved us, we also ought to love one another. If you know 1 John 4, 11 very well to your heart, and meditate on it consistently, you will see why some aspects of love might have been difficult before now. You will see why you have been finding it challenging to love. Because the Bible says, if God so loved us, whilst we were yet sinners, when we had nothing to offer him, in fact, the only thing we were offering him was hatred and rejection, like many still do today. But yet, he's still loving them first. Then we also ought to love one another that way. So we understand that it is my duty to love, regardless of how a person behaves or they don't behave. 
whether they are positive towards my whether they are disposed positively to my love or they are not my duty is to love if we all have this as a, a duty and an understanding it will change our relationships we are to love one another in many ways as couples husbands and wives we are to love one another this same way not expecting to be loved first but showing love to others and there's this erroneous belief that Women go about saying that if God, the Bible says, God, uh, Ephesians 5, 22 says, husband, love your wife. So it is, my, it is your duty to love me. It is not my duty to love you. No, there's nothing like that. When you submit, as he said, if you read verse 20, if you read verse 20, it says, submit to one another. We're going to see it very soon. When you submit, as he said, you submit in love. Why do we love Jesus? How do we demonstrate our love for Jesus that, from his sacrifice? We submit to him. That's why we come and we say we give our lives to Christ when we get born again. So, every one of us must understand we are to love one another as couples. We are to love as biological families. Members of a family, husband and wife, parents and children, siblings. We are to love one another as families. God puts us in biological families for a purpose. And we must understand that it is God's intention, that it is the bond of peace in the unity of love that keeps us together as families. We must love as brethren, people who are, are what we know are a spiritual family. We believe in the, in the Lord Jesus, in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So we are commanded to love one another. The Bible says, so also you ought to love one another. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are truly my disciples if you have love one for another. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He said, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we had nothing to offer him, he died for us. God loves us. Christ died for us. And it is that death that we respond to. So to love like God, therefore, means we must be his companion. Somebody say, we must be his companion. We must be his compatriot. Are you following me or you are doing something else? Let's go. Say, to love like, say to love like God, we must be his companions. We must be his compatriots. And we must be his comrades. Those three things are very important. I'll quickly explain them. I first, I first heard these words preached by Bishop T.D. Jakes many years ago, and it changed my life. Companion, compatriots, and comrades. We must be like this to God. As companions, we love one another. We express love one to another. This is why you call your wife or your spouse your companion. Because you express love to one another. Now, with God, we are companions. He loved us first. We loved him back. So, in a way, we are companions. Now, compatriotism simply means that together we love the same thing. We love the same thing. We love one another as companions, but we love the same thing. The more things you love together as spouses, as families, as a church, the more things you love together the more you find yourself accomplishing much more. So, compatriotism means we love the same thing. What is the one common thing that we love together with God? People. Somebody say people. God loves people. We must love people. That makes us a compatriot with God. It makes us somebody or people who are aligned to the same vision with God. 
God so loved the world, we must love the world. Not the worldly things, but the people in the world. God so loved them, we must love them also. That makes us a compatriot with God. So it is very important we understand this. And I always say, if a church works in the spirit of companionship and compatriotism, you will find them accomplishing much more because they love one another as companions in the ministry and they also love the same thing in the terms of the vision of reaching people and doing those things that God has committed into that church as a mission, as a vision and as a mission. Then we are comrades with God. As comrades, we hate the same thing. Somebody say, we hate the same thing. We have one enemy. We have a common enemy as comrades. Hallelujah. So this is the thing. Every one of us must understand that we have the same enemy with God. The enemy of God is who? Satan, the devil. He has only one enemy. I know you wish it was your neighbor, but it's not. <laughs> that your neighbor, that your co-worker is not his enemy at all. <laughs> Even though he is claiming to be an enemy of God, he's not his enemy. God, God has no human being as enemy. He has only one enemy, and we must also have only one enemy. And whatever thing that enemy is doing, this is why God hates those things the enemy does, like pride, like haughtiness. He hates lies. He hates those things. This is what this, the remainder of this series is all about. So we are comrades. Show me a winning army of any nation. They do these three things together. They are companions. They believe in each other. They believe that they got each other's back. That is why one of them will go out and say, let me go and check out the landmine, believing that his mates will take care of him if he partially survives. And he will go with that assurance, not looking back. Some of you have watched those war stories, those war movies. I know some of it is over-dramatized. But he can give you a picture of what is happening. So they are companions. They believe that they love each other to the point whereby they, they work together. And then they are compatriots because they believe in their country. They believe in the nation or the group that they are, develop, that they are uh, uh, defending. They believe in the mission of that group. That is why they are effective together. They have one language. And then they are comrades because they believe that in that war, in that battle, their enemy is only one. They may have several enemies, but when they are facing one group, they believe that this group of people we are facing are our enemies together. So we must work like this with God. We must work in companionship, compatriotism, and comradeship. This camaraderie that we are talking about is what I want us to look at. Working with God to hate the things he hates so that we can continue to prove and demonstrate our love for him, our companion. This is why it is so important that husbands and wives must understand what they hate together. You don't hate people together. If your spouse wants you to, make, to hate another person, you tell them, honey, that is out of line. Sorry, I can't hate them. I can't, neither can you. But if he wants you to hate the work of darkness in the life of a person, something that the devil is doing and is bringing a sickness and he says, honey, let's pray against that foul spirit that is trying to make that child not progress. Let's pray against that foul spirit that is trying to make that marriage not to work. Join him or join her. Because you are hating together what God hates. The Bible says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest. To do what? To destroy the works of the evil one. So the moment you join your camaraderie with God in destroying the works of the evil one, you are on. You are on. Hallelujah. 
So understand that we must be comrades with God, hating together the things that he hates. The Bible refers to six things that he says God hates, and seven he calls them that are abominations unto God. They are abominations. They are unacceptable to God. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, and we'll be reading this right through to the rest of this series, to the end of this series, from verse 16 to verse 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Let's start to read them. Number one, verse 17. A, let's read together. A proud look. Number two, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Verse 18. Verse 18. Number four, a heart that devises wicked plans. Number five, feet that are swift to run to evil. Then let's go to verse 19 and read number 6. A false witness who speaks lies and number 7 and 1 who sows discord among the brethren. Among brethren. God hates the 6, calls the 7 an abomination. So every one of us must understand that these same things, as we'll be looking at them one by one throughout the remaining few weeks of the months of March, February and March, I want us to be making up our minds to hate them also. You see, what you don't hate, you will always tolerate. You have to hate certain things, not to tolerate them. If you don't hate lying, you will always be finding it easy to tell lies. You will always find it easy. If you don't hate lust, you will always find it easy to lust. If you don't hate pride you will find that you will walk in pride very easily in many places. And this pride is the root of everything, as I will be seeing in this thing today. Everything that, 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 that God is against, if you dig it very well, you will find pride at the root of it somehow, contributing to making that thing happen in people. You will find it in scripture. So our emphasis today is, to, is for us to deliver this power, to be empowered to hate pride because God hates pride. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You say I fear God, you must hate evil. Why? Because one of the things that is in the root of evil is that pride and arrogance and such evil way and the perverse mouth, God says what? I hate. God says I hate pride. Say with me, God hates pride. Yeah, he hates pride. He hates pride. Psalm 5, verse 5. He said, The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. The boastful shall not stand in God's sight. He hates, and you can see the your and the you are in capital. So he's talking about God. He hates all workers of iniquity. So we must all understand that God is against pride. And as comrades with God, we must also be against pride. I will tell us five things that I want us to be evaluating in our various relationships. I've talked about the different relationships. Relationship with brothers and sisters, uh, that is brethren in the church. Relationships among spouses. Relationship in a family between husband and wife and parents and children. And relationship also with other people who the Bible calls our neighbors. They may not necessarily be geographically close to us, but people that we reach and people that we have some kind of affiliation with. 
So, number first, number one thing I would like to talk about is that pride makes us selfish and self-centered in our relationships. One of the reasons why we must hate pride is that it makes us selfish and self-centered. God threw out Lucifer from heaven just because of his self-centeredness. This wonderful archangel that was commanding the worship of the heavenly bodies before man was created and was doing fantastically well, suddenly got this terrible spirit of pride and he challenged God and he desired to usurp God, became self-centered. He became, he became conceited in himself. Look at Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. And the same way God stood against Lucifer at that point is the same way he still stands against anyone who is self-centered and self-absorbed in our today's world. He said, how are you falling from heaven? Isaiah 14, verse 12. How have you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning. How are you cut down? Isaiah 14, 12, please. How are you cut down to the ground? You who weakened the nations. Look at verse 13. What did he do? Let's read verse 13 together. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. Self-centeredness. I will. I will. I will. There was no need for him to be puffed up because he was already the commanding angel. He was already sort of next to God. He had no reason whatsoever. But as soon as pride came in, that relationship became strained and the Bible says he was cast out of heaven. Now I want us to all understand that we become very proud and arrogant in our relationships without knowing it. One of the biggest mistakes we make in life is taking for granted the people God has planted around us because we become so familiar with them. We know their weaknesses. We know the stories. We know the many things they didn't do right. We know the many days they were embarrassed that people may not even, others may not know. We become familiar. And this spirit of familiarity is a spirit of pride. It first brings familiarity in such a way whereby we take each other for granted. And then suddenly it starts to puff one up. Starting to make one feel that they are better than the other. Happens in every relationship. You see a husband and wife start very well. Suddenly pride comes into one. Starts to feel he or she is better than their spouse. You see young children growing up. Everything is lovely, beautiful. Suddenly some father feels he's superior to the children. Because they are not accomplishing like, they have, like he accomplished in his time. Or suddenly one child feels that now he has accomplished, now he has become something and then he becomes to be puffed up. These are demonic vices. Oh, brothers and sisters, I have seen brothers in church all my life. You know, I've told you many times I was born into church. I can tell you stories about church people. I have seen people in church life who were virtually paupers, if I can dare use that word, who had nothing, absolutely nothing. And then God starts to empower them a little. They got this, got that, started to empower them. And some of them lose their mind. Now nobody can talk to them, not even the pastor of the church, because they have become something. It's a terrible spirit that we must fight every day. Listen, friends, you may be sat here today and saying, but pastor, you know, I, I can't imagine myself in all this. The Bible says to him that thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he falls. 
The spirit of pride is the most subtle of spirits. When he came to Garden of Eden to pull man down, he did not come and say, eat the fruit now. He did not come. If he had said that to Eve, Eve would have run away. What did he say? Did God really say? Appeal to her willpower. Appealing to her emotions. Appealing to her person. Did God really say that you should not eat of this? And then the woman started to exercise her, her own reasoning. And she was describing from her own intellectualism. That was a problem. So the devil will never come into any man and puff up and show them that he wants to destroy them like that. To make a person self-centered. Please, anybody who is downstairs, ask them to come right back up here. Everybody should be here. Praise the Lord. Unless mothers are taking care of children in crash, everybody should be in the service up here. This is very important here today. Now, the truth is this. He did not come in such a way because he knows that if he comes that way, we will easily identify him. So he's very subtle. And I want to challenge you today. Every time you find a stress in your family, you find a stress in your relationship with your friend, you find a stress with your parents, you find a stress with your spouse, check it very well. Somebody has become self-centered. The spirit of pride has come. It could be both of you, it could be one person. We must be thankful for our relationships. We must be submissive and considerate of one another. We must be thankful every day. Wake up. Thank God for people in your sphere of influence. People in your your relationship. Thank God for your spouse. Thank God for your children. Thank God for your brother. Thank God for your sister. Thank God for your extended family. Thank God for your church brothers and sisters. Thank God for the brethren around the world that don't even know you. Thank God for your community. Just thank God. Thank God. Thank God for your neighbor. Even if he's an atheist, thank God for him. He's there. Thank God for him. He is loved by God. Thank God, thank God, thank God. When you are thankful to God for people all the time, you will find it very difficult to walk in self-centeredness because you are channeling your energy in praying for them much more than anything. Then be submissive one to another, especially in this case I will emphasize in spousal relationships. Submission is not a duty of the wife. It's not a duty of the wife. It's something... Paul asked the wife to do for the sake of order and to illustrate how the church submits to Christ, who is the head of the church. You submit to your wife. You submit to your husband. That is how marriage works. In the Lord, you submit to one another before you can allow the spirit of love to walk in so that now God now says, you husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for him. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, giving thanks always for all things to God and Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks how many times? Giving thanks how many times? When they are doing good alone? Or when they are doing bad, you shouldn't give thanks? No, give thanks always. Do you know that that spouse and that child that you are complaining about, somebody is praying day and night to have? Do you know? Even that very one, I'm talking of that very human being, not just another man. <laughs> that man that you are calling most useless. Somebody's prayer is say, God, if I can have a man like this man, <laughs> they even call his name. <laughs> and every day you complain about him, you complain about her. That child that you say, I don't know what is wrong with this child. I don't know where he's going, where she's doing, why he's behaving like this. Somebody somewhere say, Lord, if I can just have a child that they will put to my name. You must be giving thanks always. 
Complain about your boss. Complain about your colleagues every day, every time. That is why work life is a frustration. It's a frustration. If you keep complaining about everybody at work, and I know that there are people and situations that make it very difficult for you not to complain. But when you obey the scriptural injunction that says that you should just be giving thanks, be giving thanks, be giving thanks, what happens is that you create an atmosphere whereby the spirit of love can work. And when the spirit of love is at work, you stay in control. I have tested this in over 30 years of my work life by the grace of God, that no human being, no human being is ever powerful, more powerful than the power of God. Never. The power of love, the person may come with fire on their head and behave rudely and not be respected. You know that kind of person, the Bible says, did not fear God and regard man. We have plenty in our generation. (laughs) They don't fear God, nothing. They don't regard any human being. So when you join the rest of the people to also be complaining about them, you are empowering them the more. Go on your knees before you go out to work every day. Say, Lord, I thank you for, you call their name. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. It's a blessed day. Thank you for their lives. Thank you because you are working on them in the mighty name of Jesus. But don't don't forget to now say, I place my dread in their heart. (laughs) That they will have the dread of me every time they see me. Not for my sake, but that they should have reverence for you in the name of Jesus. When they see you, they will not be able to do those things that they do. It is not a bad thing to pray such prayer. David prayed, turn the counsel of Ahithophel to what? To foolishness. It's not that he prayed for Ahithophel to die. Our own generation, we don't know more than fire. Die, 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 die. You die. Eh, eh. God did not send us to kill anybody. No, 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 no. That's why we don't pray that prayer here. Anybody, whether I'm here or not, anybody comes, they only goes fire. Just from that day, just don't give them the microphone again. <laughs> there is no Holy Ghost fire that is consuming people anywhere. No, we, we fight against not flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers. We know where our enemy is. So my point is, be thankful. Giving thanks always. Giving thanks always. Then number 21, verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Can you see why many relationships are strained? We don't submit to one another in the fear of God. What is God's word concerning that relationship? Brotherly love, spousal love, family love, every one of it must be that we are submitting to one another in the fear of God. I have found very simply, anytime it seems I have some kind of challenge with communicating something to my wife and there's a misunderstanding, I take a step back and find, where have I gone wrong? Where have we gone wrong here? Somebody must have become puffed up. Somebody must no longer be appreciating. Somebody must no longer... Somebody, something must have happened. The enemy must have put something. It works every time. It works every time. And don't think that you're above it. Don't think that you can, you, you've now arrived and then you're above anything. The Bible says that we should not be ignorant of what? The devices of the devil. The devil is very, very subtle. He's very crafty. He can go into anyone. He can use a four-year-old child to set a home ablaze. Not physical fire, but to just cause confusion. That child will just say something casually. Did he even know and walk away? And then the man will say, did you hear your daughter? <laughs> he will say, he wasn't talking to me. He's talking to you. The child didn't even know what. <laughs> just said something. That's the devil at work. And then they start to argue and start to fight. But the Bible says, submit to one another in the fear of what? Of God. So we must be people who are thankful, submissive, and considerate. Think in every case, what 
is in it for my partner? What is in it for my spouse? What is in it for my brother or my sister? When we live like this, it becomes very difficult to be self-centered. You need to understand very, very little things that cause problems in relationships. Say with me, it is not always about me. True. It's not always about you. It's not always about you. It's usually, most of the time, about the other person. But think about it. If the other person says it's about you, and you say it's about them, can't you see that that will be heaven on earth? The problem comes when you say it's about me, and they say it's about them. Then everybody starts to bring out... That's what happens in boxing. Yeah? That's what happens in boxing. There is a belt to be worn. And this one says, I want it. That one says, I want it. Then what do they do? What do they do? They box each other to try and knock down the other person so that they can collect the belt. But imagine if the, if the fight was, of course, that doesn't happen in, in, in the real sense. But imagine if the fight was such that they got in and the person said, you know, I walked up to all this point, actually, so that I can give up this fight and give it to my friend today. Imagine that. It is always about the other person. Then let us be considerate. Number two. Pride makes us headstrong. Now, some of these things are related, but I want to classify them. Pride makes us headstrong and bullish. It makes us so crude and rude. It doesn't care whose ox is God. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul 1 Timothy, he said, it is a spirit of the end time that he should be very careful about. He said, but know this, verse 1, thank you, but know this, that in the last days, Perilous times will come, verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and unthankful, unholy. Number three, they will be unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. They will be brutal. They will be brutal. Can't you see that our world is so brutal now? When you hear some of the things that are happening, what a man will do to his wife, a wife will do. There are loads of stories today across the world where men kill their spouses. Either wife killed the husband or husband killed the wife because of insurance money. (laughs) Insurance money. They set them up for somebody else to kill them, to look like they were killed so that they can get 100,000 pounds. 150,000 pounds, 150, 150. They killed their own spouse of 20 years. Brutal. Somebody say brutal. That is the world we live in today. Husbands, men, men take their own mothers in countries like Nigeria where there's lawlessness and they're, they're allowing all these kind of ritual killings and all these kind of kidnappings to prevail in certain areas. They take their own mothers and offer them to kidnappers, to kidnap. Their own mothers. Brutal. 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 Paul warned Timothy of these days. We are living right in the middle of them. He said they will become brutal. He said they will become brutal. You and I must understand that this is a spirit we have to fight. Don't say I am free from it. No, 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 no. The level of brutality may be different. But when you speak to your spouse or your children or your parents, anyhow, you are brutal. When you hurt their emotions, you are brutal. You are brutal. When you don't care how they feel. You don't care that they are expressing their love. They are trying their best. And you despise them. You are brutal. You are brutal. It's a spirit of the end time that you must not allow yourself. It's being headstrong and bullish. 
He said they will be despisers of good. He said they will be traitors. Oh, they will be headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure. Verse, verse 4. Verse 4. They will be traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. If it feels good, do it. Whether God allows it or not, do it. Call him any name as long as it is sounding good to you and soothing your ego. Call her anything. Remind her of her past. Say what you like to her. That is a lover of pleasure. Satisfying your flesh rather than being gentle as expected of God. Rather than being caring and cautious of the fact. The Bible says that this is the spirit of the end time. Young people here, I want to encourage you, no matter how young you are, never be harsh to your parents. Never, ever be harsh to your parents. Pray for them. They don't know everything. They will make mistakes. Part of what they will do to help you grow in life is that they will make mistakes that you should see. As much as I talk of of my father of blessed memory today, many people everywhere that have known me almost all my life know that I talk about my father with high respect. Somebody I respected and loved till this very day, even though he's no longer with us, physically speaking. I've seen him twice (laughs) in my dream after we've buried him. That is the extent to which I love him. Hallelujah. One day I went, I told my wife this dream. Just early this year, I met him somewhere and we were lying down together in a place. And I said, Dad, it's time to go home. And I picked my bag. And it was a very lovely place. I said, I'm going back home now. I'm going back home. Then he said, okay, let's go. Then he stood. As I was going, he looked at me, he said, and I looked back, I said, why are you not coming with me? Why are you not moving? He said, no, David, I like it here. I'm really enjoying it here. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm leaving you, I'm gone. And I left the place, and then when I woke up, I laughed, because obviously it's a funny story. But at the same time, I said to my wife, I believe my, my father, much more, I believe my father is at rest, is at peace, enjoying where he is, hallelujah. But the reality is this, I saw him make some mistakes. I don't preach them. And I will not preach them today if you are waiting to hear those things. <laughs> because people like juicy things like that. <laughs> I saw him make some mistakes. I saw him do things that I have never repeated in my life. I have never repeated them. But part of what God does to help you is for that person to do that so that you don't walk into the trap. Maybe if I did not see him make those mistakes, maybe I would have done something worse that would have claimed my life by now. So don't open your mouth, young people, and talk to your parents anyhow. Learn to be submissive. Even when you want to correct them, correct them in love. Correct them gently. And the same thing goes for parents. That you are a parent doesn't mean you know everything. It doesn't mean you are now the encyclopedia of all the world knowledge because you gave birth to a child. Do you know that life is like a, it's like a curve? One day you are training children, training children, training children, and the curve keeps going up like that. Then the next day they are training you, training you, training you. They will be the one telling you things. There are many decisions I don't take now without consulting my children. Many. And I know who to consult if I don't need to consult all of them. I know who to call to say, I want to buy this, I want to do this. What do you think? Because they, they, they know more than me. They are more contemporary. I can sit down and say, I'm, I'm the father. And waste 1,000 pounds on top of nothing. <laughs> no. You, you have to humble yourself and understand that you must be a person who is not headstrong and bullish in your approach. Number three, pride makes us unwilling to learn, to listen. Pride makes us unwilling to listen and to also be considerate of others. James chapter 1 verse 19. It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. 
slow to speak, slow to wrath. Be swift to hear, be more willing to hear from your friend, from your brother, from your sister, from your spouse, from your father, from your child. Be more willing to hear than to speak. Because wrath usually follows somebody who has not heard it very well. Not just heard the words that is spoken, but the thing behind the word that is usually not spoken. There are people who are spoken to, speaking to you. Hi, spoken to you. There are people who are speaking to you. They are speaking to you on the platform of a hurt and a pain. It is when you listen physically and listen spiritually that you will hear the cry from 20 years ago, the cry from 30 years ago, the thing that is really speaking that you should sympathize with before you go up in flames and say, I've told you, you don't know this, you don't know that. There are people who have been hurt, abused. They have, been, they, they have, they have gone through things that you do not know details of, that they don't tell people. It is when you are very, very swift to hear, clever to hear, allowing God to tell you what is not being said, that you will find yourself that you are able to empathize, sympathize with them. That's why when that woman was saying, I, I, I want this water and this and that, 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 Jesus did not hear her talk about husband and relationships she has had. Did he? No. He did not hear her talk about those relationships before. But he said, go and call your husband. Something she never talked about. But the man who is swift to hear was hearing the pain of broken relationships, lack of trust in men coming through, even though she was talking spiritually. Our fathers worship here. Our fathers did that and did that. She was talking some religion. <laughs> but if Jesus was not swift to hear, all she will, he will hear is those things and she will not, he will not get to the core of the woman. Many times, your children are telling you things that you need to hear beyond what they are saying. Your spouse is telling you something that you need to hear beyond what he's saying. The, your brother, your sister, those of us who counsel people on the phone or wherever, listen, take time to listen. I used to, as a much young, I'm still growing by the grace of God, but as a much younger counselor, I was very quick. The moment you say, Pastor, this is the challenge I have. Before you even finish the challenge, I've given you five solutions. <laughs> I've given you five things because I've had that thing so many times. I think I just give you the recommendations. But then I learned that the more you listen, the more you listen and let the person speak, the more you are able to have a better relationship. Friends, we need to listen some more. Some of the problems we have in our marriages today is because spouses are not listening to each other. They are not listening. That woman is crying every day. Something is there. She's saying it, but you are not hearing it. You are hearing something else. That man is crying from a bitter past every day, and you keep ignoring him and keep knocking him down, telling him he can't go anywhere. He can't achieve anything. This is his problem. He is telling you that I have had challenges in, in, in my history. I have been told as a child. He may not use those words, but he's telling you that I have been told as a child that I can't make it. And I'm really worried that things like that are coming to pass in my life now. You need to stand with that man and hold him, embrace him. That's why you are there in his life. That's why you are called his help meet. You are not there to knock him down. So more God brought you into his life to make him. God brought you into her life to make her walk together, pray together, trust God together. And let God help you. Be willing to listen. Pride is what makes us unwilling to listen. Some of the people... We place a demand on. There was something I wrote on Facebook some time back. 
it is evil to place a demand on something of something on someone who cannot give it. Do you understand what I'm saying? God will never demand from you what he has not given you. No. Did he ask for Isaac before Isaac was born? Church. Did God ask for Isaac before Isaac was born? No. God did not come and meet him in that confusion and not knowing between Eliezer and uh, all those people and now he sacrificed Isaac. He demand will be very confused <laughs> because he has not seen Isaac. So he came to ask for Isaac, of course, as a trial of his faith, but he came to ask for Isaac after Isaac had been given. So when you place a demand of something, you know very well that your wife is not gifted in certain things. And you keep placing a demand on her to provide those things. That's evil. It's evil. And vice versa. You know your husband's salary. You know how much he earns. And if you don't tell your wife your salary, that's your own business. But that's the truth. <laughs> you know your husband's salary. You know how much he earns. I don't have a problem. My wife, since day one, she knows my salary. So she can't come and meet me now and say, buy me a plane. <laughs> I, will, I will just laugh. <laughs> and then pray. I say, God, something must be wrong here. <laughs> this is the reality. She won't ask me for those kind of things. Because it's not a, the, the, the level now. I'm not saying you can never get there. Hallelujah. Whether you say amen or not, God. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Brethren. But the reality is that this, this is where we are now. There are some things she wouldn't, she can ask me freely now, but she wouldn't have done that 10 years ago. She wouldn't have done that 30 years ago when we met at all. At all. It wouldn't even cross her mind, I'm sure. <laughs> now she can say to me, honey, I want to, I feel like flying to Acapulco. <laughs> I feel like going to Toronto. I haven't been to Canada in many years. What do you think? Are you happy to, to, to pay? I can consider that. But 12, 15 years ago, she wouldn't even try that. She would say, I think I, I want to go to Houston for, <laughs> for the afternoon. What am I saying, friends? Let us understand where we're at. Listen to each other the more and help each other to grow. Don't ask from your brethren what they cannot give you. Don't. Some people expect because you are a Christian and they are Christians, when you tap like that, they have to be at your door. That's mean. That's mean. That's mean. That's mean. Be considerate. They are family people also. They also have responsibility. So if they can't come in time, it simply means they couldn't get there in time. They will get to you by the grace of God. Be considerate. Be considerate. You tell your child, when I was your age, I used to score A, 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 A. Let us see the certificate first before we... <laughs> One of my friends many years ago, many years ago, I had just turned 40 years, I think. I was, no, 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 no. He was already 40. I was still in my late 30s in this country. And then he called me and said, you know, my son, we are talking about our children. Our children were still very young then. You know, our children are about the same ages. And he said, oh, this my son doesn't want to do anything. And I told him that, you know, at your age I was doing this. And I said to him, I said, my friend, never said that. Never say that to your son again. Never. Then I told him, that was the year Obama became president. Obama was 47, 48, when he became president. 46 he was when he became president. When he became president. I say, how old are you? He say, I'm just turning 40. He say, I'm 42. That time. I say, how old is Obama? 
He said he's 46. I said, hey, have you moved near American presidency <laughs> or British parliament <laughs> to be an MP, not to talk of prime minister? He said, ah, David, that's true. I said, hey, so never in your life compare your, your child to another child or to yourself. Because you yourself, there are many of your age mates that have done 10 times what you are, even younger people. Younger people. If Mark Zuckerberg was from my country, when he sees me, he should be greeting me like this. <laughs> he should be prostrating to greet me. He's my junior brother, big time. Mark Zuckerberg, the same Mark Zuckerberg. Maybe for some of you, he's older than you. But he's many, many years younger than me. There are people who have achieved many, many more things. Many, many more things than you. So you should never, ever compare your child to people who, to yourself or to other people. Don't compare your spouse. Look at their strengths and help them. It is your pride that makes you that way. Number, number four, pride makes us unforgiving. Pride makes us unforgiving. We must humble ourselves to forgive when people are ignorant of their actions or when they are simply incapacitated. They cannot do more than they did. Now, I'm saying this very carefully because I'm not saying that we should now do this, like I've always said, to, to make it difficult for other people. But we should learn to be forgiven. Jesus taught us a pattern in Luke 23, verse 33. When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Verse 34. Let's read verse 34 together. Verse 34, everybody look up and read with me. Luke 23, 34. Let's go. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And then they divided his garments and cast lots. They don't know. Do you know that many people who say things to you, many people who call you names, many people who abuse you in one way or the other don't know what they're doing? You think they do? They think they do, but they don't know. These people thought they think they did because they took a nail, took his hand, put it on the cross and hit it. You can't tell me that such a person who is making such a calculated action doesn't know what he's doing in the reality of it. They know what they're doing, but Jesus will qualify it and say they do not know what they're doing. It simply means they're acting out a script that they do not know. You must understand when somebody opens your, their mouth to you and tell you things and call you to, now again, I'm saying that this is not permitted and should not be done by anybody on the platform of this. Whether it's your spouse or your child or your parent, they just open their mouth and say things. Just say, Father, please forgive my brother, my sister, for they don't know what they do. Forgive. 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 I used to say something. I don't have a problem helping people and then they don't appreciate it. I'm not saying it's good. In fact, it's very bad. It's very, very bad that you do something, especially when you go all out to help a person. And I've been there many times. Help a person do certain things. And then they just, you know, ignore you and despise you. I said, the one that really, really beats me is when the same people now become your opposer. And they now become somebody who is actually trying to now work against you, despite what you've done for them. This is what they did to Jesus. That was the extent to which he was. He came to save them. He was healing them. He was setting them free. I will not be surprised. I will not be surprised. The Bible does not say so. If one of the people that was healed, one of the crippled that was healed, or people that were healed in this time, were in the crowd who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It is part of the end time spirit of wickedness and brutality that, Jesus, that Paul warned Timothy about. But I find that when you draw grace to always learn to forgive, like Jesus did, it will mean nothing to you. Stand in the place of authority of the word of God every time and be forgiving. 
There are people, many, many people who don't know what they are doing. There are people who are denying you a promotion now and they think that they are doing you evil. They are using the power they have. I've been there many times. They are using the power they have to deny you a promotion. Not knowing that they are playing out a script that God permitted. (laughs) So that that promotion, if they gave it to you, it will take you out of the supernatural thing God wants to do. Believe me, I've been there many times. So they would think they are doing... So if you go in hatred against them or you are thinking evil about them, you are wasting your time. You keep forgiving. Keep doing the things. Just know your job. Do what God says you should do. And you keep forgiving and watch what God will do. So let us be forgiving. Spouses that learn how to forgive quickly will always have a healthy relationship. Something happens, they talk about it very quickly, they forgive very quickly, they move on very quickly. It will always look as if they have no issue whatsoever. Let's learn to forgive. But when the person says, I can't forgive that, or this slogan of I forgive but I will not forget, do you know that you are empowering unforgiveness when you say you will not forget? I know that your mind is programmed to retain things. So it will not naturally forget, naturally. But you know something? You empower it the more when you say, I will not forget. You empower it when you speak it that I will not forget. Then brain say, yeah, I keep it. then it becomes difficult for you to forgive. And when you cannot forgive very well, it becomes difficult for you to help the other person. Many, many years ago, when this church started, there was a lady that, that came into the church. Everybody helped her. She, had, she brought two sets of, uh, she brought a set of twins, and they were under a year old at that time. I think they celebrated their one year even in this church, if I remember correctly. And everybody poured around this person, helped. She said she had some immigration issues and blah, blah, blah. You know how this church is. People gathered around and did everything they could, helped. You know, I personally did a lot of things that I wouldn't be mentioning here, you know, personally from personal phones and so on. But the reality is that a year later, thereabout, she got her papers, everything worked. This person just turned against everybody. A lot of you won't remember her. Some of you will. Just turned against everybody. Cut off everybody from social media. And I tried to reach her to ask, what was it? What did anybody say anything? Did I say anything? What? Nothing, not whatsoever. Then I found that all she needed was looking for then was to get all those things she got. Like recommendations, writing letters that she's part of a church and all. Just to get paper. Somebody say paper. Now she has got that paper five years ago, whatever it is. But thank God for her. But that is how people are. Just left. Now, my point on that is that it could be very easy for me to say never again. <laughs> very easy. It would be very easy for some of the brethren that know such a person. If another person is in such a need, they say never again. But we don't do that. We forgive and we forget in the sense of we don't empower our brain to keep remembering so that we can continue to love others and be a blessing to others. Matthew chapter 18, there was a story of a man there that forgave his steward, verse 25. But as he was not able to pay, this man was owing this man, his master a lot of money. He was not able to pay. His master now commanded that he be sold, his wife, his children, and all that he had. And that payment be made from that. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him. Verse 26, please. The servant fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then verse 27, let's read verse 27. Everybody verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt. Of course, we know that man later on went and did not forgive somebody else, but my emphasis is the fact that he himself received forgiveness from a master who took time to hear his story. 
We need to be patient with people. Everybody is work in progress. Be patient with your children. They are not perfect today, but they are working to perfection. Your spouse is not a perfect person. You are not perfect, so stop demanding perfection from them. Work with them in the areas of imperfection to help them become who God wants them to be. That is why God brought you together. That's why God brought you together. God knows how he compliments people. My wife is very gifted in different ways from me. Very different ways from me. You see me? One of my weaknesses that God has been helping me over the years, but which God has used her to compliment very well for me, was if I meet you on the street and we say, hello, you say, I'm brother. The moment you say you are brother somebody or sister somebody, I can give you my wallet, my bank account, my details. I will not, I don't hold back again. But not everybody who say they are brother like, you have to be discerning. Not everybody who say brother like that. So when she's by my side and she said, just take it easy. <laughs> it helps me and it has saved me many times. One lady walked into this church some years back. One of our Commonwealth scholars. She walked in right from the beginning and my wife saw her. She said, who's this lady? I said, oh, she's one of the new people, Commonwealth fellows. She said, I said, hmm, watch it. Be careful. I said, what do you mean? This, you just mental health people. Everybody's crazy. <laughs> I say, leave me alone. All you mental health people, where you see everybody, you see craziness. I say, this and that. Do you know it was not two months after that, that lady played out that she was not genuine at all. She told my anointing. <laughs> I can decide out of pride to be fighting her or I can humble myself and say, this is the strength this person has. What are you fighting your spouse for when it's a strength of theirs to take care of the house? It's a strength for them to make sure that the house is in order, that the bills are paid on time, that things are there, and then you are still arguing with them. That is their strength. That's their strength. I know somebody like that. Don't, don't expect that person to save any money, but if they want to save money, they know who to give it to to save it. That's their strength. That's their strength. Learn in life that your God-given spouse is somebody that you must continue to forgive so that you can leverage the strength together. Final thing I want to say, pride makes us stingy. Pride makes us sparing with our gifts. We feel that we are entitled to them and we release them sparingly. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says we should not. Everyone who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Lo, let each one give as he proposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves. We say we want to love what God loves. God loves a cheerful giver. We have reduced this scripture to only collecting offerings in church. That is not the only purpose of it. Yes, it's good to remind ourselves in times of collecting for God to do the work of God, but that is not the sole purpose of it. Are you sparing to your brethren? You see a particular brother every day. They wear every Sunday that you see them. They are in the same pair of shoes. Same pair of shoes. Same pair of shoes. And you bought, you know you are the same size with them. And you bought yours three months ago. You've never worn it because you are still wearing so many others. Go and take that one. Not one from the ones you have worn. Go and take that one you have not worn. Give it to them. Give it to them to be a blessing. Give it to them. Just an example there. Be sparing. Be sparing. Some of us don't give our spouses. When we were cutting, we were giving to each other regularly. But as soon as we got married, we started to take it for granted. We no longer give to our spouses or to our partners. It's wrong. We must learn to be giving. Let's give of our gifts to the Lord. Give of our gifts to one another. 
because God put them there. It is pride for anyone to think that they can withhold something and not give to others. You know that man that was just simply identified as a rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10? His problem was in verse 22. The Bible says when Jesus said to him, go and sell and give to the whole, give whatever you have to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, then come take up your cross and follow me. Verse 22. This was his problem. Look at verse 22. Everybody, let's go. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful. Now, read the last phrase very well. Loud, everybody. For he had great possessions. That was his pride. He was stingy. He had great possessions, but he felt, how can I, how can I give that to the poor? Some of us cannot go out on street evangelism because, you know, we are, we are, we are supervisor. Somebody say, I'm supervisor. <laughs> they don't want to see the supervisor on the street handling tracts and telling people to be born again. Oh, I, I, I'm a consultant. In fact, these days, I'm a consultant. Everybody's a consultant now. <laughs> Everybody's a consultant in this generation. Consultant, just consultant. In my days, before they gave you that title, that means there's something you can offer people. <laughs> now, somebody who is just training, just you say, I'm a consultant. What are you consulting? What are you consulting? That's where all the pride is coming from. So, to stand in the street and say, God bless you, brethren. Jesus saves. Take this track. God bless you. God bless you. Read it. If you have any problem, ring the number. God bless you. God bless you. Say, No, I am director of this. Da, da, da. I'm managing director and CEO of ABC Limited. <laughs> pride, 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 pride. Unwilling to share the love of Christ with others. Pride everywhere. We must deal with that terrible spirit. Whatever we become in this life, we become for God. We become by God. I say, We become by God. And we become for God. May God never let you have anything that you cannot use for him. I say, may God never let you have anything that you cannot use for him. In the name of Jesus. Pride is an enemy of love. Because of our time, I won't go into it. But if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, from verse 4 to 13, from verse 4 to 7, it talks about what love is. Love is patient. Pride is impatient. Love is kind. Pride is unkind. You can just be looking at every word where there is love there. Put pride and put the opposite. Love does not envy. Pride is full of envy. Love does not parade itself. What does pride do? Parades itself. Love is not easily puffed up. What does pride do? It's always puffed up. When they call his name in a meeting, they say, now we call brother uh, uh, Sample to speak to us. And then he stands up and say. I, I'm, I'm sorry, my name is Bishop Dr. Reverend <laughs> A. Sample. <laughs> because he's puffed up. He's puffed up. Number five, number five. Look at it very quickly. Everywhere you see love. Number verse five, verse five. Verse five, please. Everywhere you see love. He said love does not behave rudely. What does pride do from what we have been saying? is rude. He doesn't care. Love does not seek its own. Pride is always about himself. Love is not easily provoked. Pride. Ah, thin skin. Always on fire. You touch him, you touch everything. He explodes. <laughs> touch, touch. Touchy, touchy. Love thinks no evil. Leave it up. Touch thinks no. Love thinks no evil. Pride always is devilish in his intent because it's always about himself. Verse 6. Rise to your feet as we continue to read them. Verse 6. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Pride is always happy when others fall because that is an opportunity to prove that he was right. Especially when he has told them that they will fall and they fell. Pride will say, I told you before. <laughs> Love rejoices in iniquity. but Pride rejoices in iniquity. He says, does not rejoice in truth, but oh, 
This is what pride, pride loves. Pride always does everything not to rejoice in truth. He rejoices in facts much more. Verse 7. He said, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But pride chooses what to believe, chooses what to bear, chooses what to hope, chooses what to endure. May God deliver us from the spirit of pride. In the mighty name.